What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the All Day Hoops Talk podcast. I am your host, Gabe, and as always, I am joined here by my co-host, Matt. Matt, Wednesday, March 28th. What is that day, Matt? It's my Duncan year. The beginning of my Tim Duncan year. And I just thought of that for you. Duncan season, baby. Matt's going to be 21 years old. He is going to uh, he's gonna party it up on a Wednesday Gabe, night. Gabe, this is a basketball podcast, okay? We had the alcohol talk outside of the podcast. We already had it. We're going to – right now, we're going to stick to sports. This is the one time I'm going to tell you to stick to sports. Actually, real quick, for the sake of uh, – for the sake of – basketball related things you should play um should play some 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 beer pong uh or some 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 sort of cup pong there you know you can get some buckets uh, while you drink low-key i've i have this theory that people who play basketball are significantly better at beer pong because it's so easy yeah it's just like a little like a little like wrist motion it's not it's not anything challenging but um well, my lonzo shot it's gonna be really fun with that. Oh god, <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm sure Lonzo Ball is horrible at at beer pong. I I, I don't want to. I don't want to envision that. Um, yeah. So a week ago, when we were talking, there was 16 teams left in the NCAA tournament. Now there is just four. Yeah, I mean, this is it. This is the last three games of the college basketball season. Definitely makes me sad to see it come down to an end. But this is kind of uh, this is it right here. This is the big. This is the the big cake. This is what everybody wants to be playing at. Um, so we got a Final Four. You've got Loyola, the Cinderella, against Michigan, kind of the trendy pick, the trendy sleeper pick. And then you've got um, two heavy heavyweights on the other side, Villanova versus Kansas. And I, I think that's a good Final Four. And I, I was someone who was vocal about it. I was kind of complaining a little bit just in the fact that we got so many upsets in the earlier rounds that like the sweet 16 rounds and even some of the elite eight games weren't really all that like they weren't all that good they weren't all that exciting they weren't something that you really were getting hyped for because you were getting kind of two bad teams matched up there's almost so many upsets did, did you feel that same way or were you just totally here for the chaos i've always kind of been the person where i want to see the best of the best go at it that's kind of how like in the nba if we get Warriors Cavs for a fourth straight year, it won't really matter to me. Obviously, the Cavs aren't the second best team in the league, but if they're the best team in the East, they deserve to be playing in the finals because they have the best player in the world. And that's just kind of a discrepancy because you have LeBron. So you just get like an asterisk, like you might not have the best record, but you had the best player, so anything's possible. But March Madness, we always have the upsets. The upsets are always gonna be there. And you really only have one or two of those Cinderella teams actually make legitimate noise. You know, a lot of them just win a game or two. A lot of them just win one, but you look at Loyola, who just, they just got really hot, and I think we can both agree they were probably underseeded. And then you, you eventually, the heavyweights get there. Like, Villanova and Kansas are the heavyweights. You can... Maybe throw Michigan in there as not not a heavyweight, but they're they're one of the better teams in the country. They deserve they deserve to be in this spot. They completely annihilated AM. So it's a good final four. But it's, I wish I think it's good and bad that Villanova and Kansas are playing in the first final and like are playing on that bracket and like they're playing each other because that that's where I the think that, national title game. 
that's that's going to be more of the title game, I think, than Loyola Michigan. Yeah, I I think whoever I don't know, I think Michigan could beat Kansas if that were the matchup. Um, but yeah, and th- this is the four we have is a good four. Like I said, you've got the the Cinderella team, easy to root for. Everybody likes them. Uh, then you've got the the trendy sleeper pick, Michigan, and then you've got two heavyweights. So half of them are heavyweights, um, and you know the, it just sucks that they're playing each other in the final four. But you've still got the two heavyweights there, and that's going to be a classic game. But yeah, I mean, when when we get the the big the big popular good teams up against each other, you get better games, you get higher rated games. For example, Duke and Kansas was the best exactly. game of the tournament so far. Best game of the tournament so far, highest rated game of the tournament. And what do you know? It was a one versus a two. Now, don't get me wrong. I would have loved to see Duke. I would have loved to see Kansas and or Duke get upset before. But it's a double-edged sword because then you're like, well, shit, they got upset. We're going to see lesser teams playing each other. So if, if they had both been upset in the round before, we would have saw Syracuse versus Auburn. So it, it's it's not really a comparison when you look at the quality of the matchups. But at the same time, we do want to celebrate upsets. Yeah, upsets are a lot of fun. And I do think that they do get to a point where people are a little upset with them and want to see the better teams. Like, I think if Texas Tech got to the Final Four, it'd be really exciting. That, that would have been the fine. Country. They're a three seed. Yeah, so like, they, they, they would obviously deserve to be there, but... How many people have ever really paid attention to Texas to Texas Tech basketball? Like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they've never been a basketball powerhouse. If anything, historically speaking, the women's program is significantly better than the men's program has been in years. And I want to touch on the Tech game real quick. Since I do go to Tech, I do cover them. I hate the lazy narrative that fans like to throw around when a team loses that it was all on the refs. You know, <laughs> I've never understood that. Oh, trust me. When, I know. NC State fans go for the ref excuse. Every, I mean, football, basketball, it's, I mean, it's, and of course there's sometimes where it is a valid, like, argument, but God, yeah, NC State fans, um, that's definitely one thing I don't like about my fan base is that they go straight for the refs oftentimes. And look, Texas Tech was significantly out-rebounded, especially the offensive glass by Villanova, significantly yes. shot less free throws than Villanova. And people are saying, you know, it's because Tech was being aggressive getting to the lo- getting to the rim and they just weren't getting fouled. No, that's not the case. Tech was not aggressive in that game at all. Villanova was significantly more aggressive. It wasn't even close. That's what happens. Tech was Tech, it was it wasn't the worst game I've seen Tech play this year. It was just a game where they weren't looking like themselves. They didn't really focus on the offense, on the motion offense that much. Keenan Evans Probably he had the worst time ever. Yeah, for to have a bad game. I think it was his toe, and it, it just came out. He played. He's been playing with a broken toe since February, so he's played phenomenal to be doing all that on a broken toe. And they just weren't aggressive enough. They relied a lot on the perimeter. Took a lot of shots that were uncharacteristic of them early in the shot clock. And if you're a perimeter team, you're just not going to shoot as many free throws for that game. So we also got to take into account Tech just lost to the better team. Like, there's nothing wrong when, when if you just lose to the better team. I didn't think Tech was going to... I thought Tech's road in the tournament was going to end in the Elite Eight because it's not just because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to not be biased. just I know Villanova is overwhelmingly better. Maybe not deeper. They just have... they have, they have have First off, they have more scoring and they have more talent. And 
Tech defended them really well, actually. Very well. That very was well, I was very impressed with just, how how good their perimeter defense was. They Villanova had broken the record for most three pointers made in the first three games of an NCAA tournament, and then only made four three pointers against, against Texas Tech. So, but I, I think it's a testament to Villanova. I mean, no matter what, they can find a way to beat you. That's how versatile their team is. You pick how you want to play them, and they'll beat you in whatever game you want to play, basically. Right. So Texas Tech, and the thing about fouling, and this goes for Florida State as well. I see Florida State fans are probably the worst ref blamers I've ever seen um, in both sports. Florida State fans are just awful at that. But with Florida State and Texas Tech, you've got teams that run a lot of bodies, deep teams that play really high-pressure defense. They come at you at 3 4, three, four three-fourths court they come at you pick you up at half court they'll do a full court press every now and then but they play high intensity physical defense naturally you're going to pick up fouls that's just how it that's how it works and and especially in Florida State's case when you got all that length and their arms are moving everywhere yeah you're going to pick up fouls and like I said just a high intensity defense it, it, it breeds fouls that's 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 a natural part of it you just have to be able to go with it and that's why having the deep lineups is is crucial for that because players are going to get in foul trouble you, ha- you have to have the bodies to rotate out um, but Texas Tech played very well defensively they I mean they held a, a team that usually scores 87 points and that's that's impressive in itself but again, Villanova might be the best team in the country. Um, they're definitely in a tier with Virginia. Those two are kind of alone. Um, but yeah, Villanova can really beat you however you want them to. It's pick your poison with them, and it's really, really, really crazy to watch. And we almost, we didn't get the Keenan Evans, Jalen Brunson matchup like I thought we were going to get, where both of them were going back and forth with each other. It's a really off game for Evans that night. But I know we're going to get the best from Devontae Graham and Jalen Brunson on Saturday. That and that's going to be incredible to watch. Oh, you know, man. like there's so much talent. Like in that game, you know, you have Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges, DiVincenzo, um, Speedy Mikhailu. There's just um, Azabuki. You know, there's just so much yeah. talent. Like, like that's easily going to be, I think, the championship game. Yeah, loosely. I, I'll, I'll be curious to see who Villanova puts on Malik Newman and then who Kansas puts on uh, Mikael Bridges because those two kind of pose weird matchup problems Malik Newman's you know Kansas two guard and I, I, I don't think Phil Booth can handle him um, but at the same time Brunson's going to have to be on Graham it may be a bit of a stretch to move Bridges down uh, Bridges could, my guess is they put Bridges on Newman Bridges is the best defender um, and then I don't know who guards Bridges because Newman isn't a great defender, and that's kind of been Kansas' issue, is that their perimeter defense isn't good. They, they don't have guards who can defend. Devontae Graham, he's not a great defender. For his size, he's good. In general, not that great. Malik Newman's not a good defender. LeGerald Vick isn't a great defender. And Svi, uh, Svima Kailuk, obviously, isn't a great defender either. So the perimeter is where they'll probably be a little uh, a little lacking. And obviously, we know Villanova, if, if your perimeter defense is lacking against Villanova, they will not hesitate to put up 15 threes on you. Exactly, and if Kansas loses, I think it'll be because of the three ball, which is very ironic because Kansas relies on three ball as well. So we're we're gonna get a, a three point barrage, um, and it, it's gonna be a very entertaining game. It'll probably end up being the best game of the entire tournament. But um, I'm going I'm going Villanova with that one, and then I'm going Michigan on the other side, and Villanova to win it all. That's pretty fair. I'll I'll, I'll go the same. But to be honest, dude, I don't 
think we ever really know what to expect no. out of Loyola at this point. Yeah. Because yeah. they do have they do have Sister Jean on their side. They do have Sister Jean. She's Catholic. She's going to a, a highly Catholic town, San Antonio. Um, maybe maybe some magic will 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 brew up there. But uh, I mean, I, I'm here for I'm, I'm totally here for Loyola Chicago beating Michigan. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think then game will probably be Villanova hoisting the title again, and that'll be two titles in three years, which would be pretty insane for a program that that doesn't really get the five star freshman. That doesn't really, um, you know, you you don't hear about them getting the Zion Williamson's, the R.J. Barrett's, the uh, you know, it's, it's just just not who they are, but they. They build a program very, very well. Um, before we talk about building programs, I I want to go back and talk about um, talk about Grayson Allen. You know, obviously he played uh, his final game this past weekend against Kansas. They lost. He had a, he almost he almost went down in NCAA tournament history with a a clutch shot. It just barely, barely, barely rolled out. Um, barely rolled out and then they went to overtime and uh obviously kansas won in overtime but one thing that i i, I want to touch on grayson allen is obviously his legacy at duke and his legacy in the minds of most college basketball fans will be what it'll be he's a dirty player he's you know the tripping stuff that happened last year that's kind of his his main legacy and i, I don't know if you saw it but nick wright went on this big um rant about how he was he picked duke in all of his brackets and he was you know he had money on duke and all, all, all that shit you know and then he was saying during the game and when that shot was going up by grayson allen he wanted it to go out you know he didn't he didn't want to root for grayson allen um and that that's fine like if you if you he's a dirty player there's no one's going to deny that he's he's done more dirty things than anybody else has but um but then he goes overboard and he's saying Okay, he doesn't deserve the glory of getting to the Final Four. He doesn't deserve the glory of being a uh, a late game hero. He doesn't deserve um, to to play for a championship, even though he already has a championship. Um, and he has no self control while he's on the court. This and that. He's pretty much paying out to be some sort of like monster, as if he he goes out every game and is purposely pushing people over. Or, you know, shit like that. Um, I just think it's like it's. It, it's crazy the kind of the distance we have in terms of our perspectives on Grayson Allen in that the distance from what is like the reality that goes on on like a night-to-night game-to-game basis versus what gets the most attention on Twitter and what the narrative is as opposed to what the actual facts are. Um, and again, no one is saying he's not a dirty player because he, I mean, he's a dirty player. Like, that's fair and square. Um, but again, he, he had four or five incidents. Um, he never looked to intentionally hurt anybody. And I, th- I think that's a key thing. I mean, if you're, if you're grabbing on someone's Jersey, if you're pushing someone over a little bit, um, honestly, I don't hate that as much as some other people do. Um, it gets, it gets in opponents heads as much as anything, but, um, you know, he, he, he never looks like he's going to intentionally hurt anybody. He's never hurt anybody. He's not kicking people in the fucking balls like Draymond Green. Um, and That's the thing. That's a really good point there, actually, yeah. because wait, can I, I'm just going to say a little bit like about the Grayson Allen thing, you know, yeah. we want to see how old is Grayson Allen? 22, 23 22 now. Yeah. He has the same birthday as me. October 8th represent. You know, I just don't understand why are we all rooting so much for a 22 year old to fail? Sure. He's, he's made some mistakes, 
There's so many athletes that are praised in today's game. Floyd Mayweather is praised. It's He's openly known. Mistakes. He abu physically abused. Yeah. He's literally wife? a criminal. Was it his wife? Um, it might have been his girlfriend. But he physically okay, girlfriend. abused someone who... We see a, a lot of people praise Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel's been better in recent years. He, well, he, he might be showing that he's better, but we don't know. Dealt with... Made some really idiotic decisions. We cheer ray lewis who might be a murderer and we <laughs> we don't have the facts in that we don't know we consistently praise ezekiel elliott we have no idea what happened there we we, we legitimately do not know if you beat a woman or not we don't know it happened with ray rice you know these athletes get and i'm not in any way shape or form supporting anything that, that those athletes did because none of them even compare like what grayson allen does on a basketball court is significantly is nothing compared to what those athletes have done is putting their hands on women dealing with alcohol and drugs you know that's terrible but why do we want to see a 22 year old kid fail so bad you know like you can just say i'm jealous of grayson allen i think that's more of what it is when you see yeah. all these athletes who hate players they're jealous like it's the same thing with trey young you know everyone wants to see trey young fail i'm like no you're just jealous that trey young is getting all this national attention and even though he had a bad tournament he's still gonna be a top 10 pick in the draft most likely yeah, I, I just don't understand, like, why... It's like Nick Wright, and then obviously people in, on Twitter who were in agreement of, of what Nick Wright was saying, were so adamant about Grayson Allen being a bad person when he's... And this feels weird for me defending Grayson Allen. Um, but, I mean, he's... I, I just think a lot of the hate was just totally unwarranted. Um, a lot of people went overboard and just, and just kind of saying things. He's, I mean, again, five or six incidents in four years. That's over 100 games. Um, I don't think that shows a lack of self-control. It shows a lack of judgment in certain times, no question. And I, again, I think he's a dirty player. I, I think, you know, he tries to do that stuff to get in their heads, um, get a little bit of an advantage. Um, you know, whatever. He's dirty. You know, no one's, no one's arguing that. But again, he's never had any character issues outside of uh, outside of basketball. He's never done any of the things we just mentioned in terms of, you know, being abusive, being a druggie, being, um, you know, anything like that. So I, I just don't get why the sort of, in comparison, shallow stuff is so much of a big deal to people. Um, and this is from some, I mean, I don't like Duke. I hate Duke just as much as the next guy. This is, I mean, they're a conference rival for me. And um, again, it just, it just, People lose all logic when it comes to hating things, and so when it comes when it comes to Grayson Allen, obviously he's he's the fun one to hate. Everyone loves to hate him. And don't get me wrong, the jokes are going to be fun, but he's a, he's a fun one to hate. And um, I mean, he's he stuck for four years. People people complain about one and duns, and then they hate Grayson Allen, who's a prominent player who's st stuck around for four years. So um, again, people just people just love to hate. Um, they just don't. Want same to thing with the Marcus Cousins. You know, we we see so many people and people in the media, regular fans complaining about DeMarcus Cousins, like, oh, he's a crybaby. He just argues and gets in rest faces. He's dirty. Look, how he is on a basketball court is nothing compared to what DeMarcus Cousins is off the basketball court. You will consistently see him doing work in the community, no matter what team he's with. I don't know if you saw this. He reached out to the family of Stephon Clark, yep. the person who was shot 20 times or shot at 20 times by um, officers. To pay for the funeral expenses yep you know there's so much that these athletes do outside of a basketball court but they're just put so much under a microscope when they're on the basketball court and rightfully so you know players are known more as basketball players and not as much as advocates for whatever they support or just 
humanitarians, yeah. which could kind of be a bad thing because a lot of these players do a lot of good things for the community. And honestly, a lot of them probably don't want it out in the public, which is why we barely heard about Stephon Clark and DeMarcus Cousins paying for the funeral expenses. Yeah, and Cousins is a dirty player. I mean, it's fair to call him a dirty player from what he's on the court. That's that's not a bad thing to say. But when you misconstrue it and when you go overboard with talking about who he is as a person is obviously where we get um, we get a, a mis- an unfair judgment like you mentioned he's he's done a lot of work in the community and the stefan clark um thing is just the the latest and i respect the hell out of him for this instance in particular um going on though so i mentioned the team building aspect of college basketball it's a huge topic especially now since duke lost duke obviously played four freshmen in their starting lineup very freshman reliant this year um kentucky's obviously always freshman reliant at least they have been the last decade or so um and and beginning of the season you hear the people oh you know kentucky or duke they have these high expectations because they have all the five-star freshmen and then when they get knocked out in the sweet 16 the elite eight um you know the slander ensues they're like hey you know oh you guys are supposed to win it all blah 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 and then you've got if you look if you look at the final four right now it's all experience. It's all seniors. It's all exactly. juniors. It's all seniors. You got that on Loyola. Um, Michigan has has good experience, uh, and they, like Michigan only has one senior, but they have guys who are experienced. Uh, one senior in their starting lineup, I should say. But they've got experience. You've got Villanova, who's got experience. You've got junior Jalen Brunson. Um, you've got guy. I mean, Brunson was there, and Mikal Bridges were on that team that won the national championship a couple years ago. Um, same with Eric Paschall. Um, you know, you've got guys who are experienced, and then you've got Kansas, Devontae Graham's obviously a senior, C. McKaylick's a senior. Um, you know, you've got you've got experience there. So there's no like elite five star freshman on the on the in the final four. I, I don't I don't think so. When it comes to that, what I guess what are your thoughts on if there's a right way to go about building uh, like a championship college basketball team? There's certainly a right way to build a college basketball team. I think with the five-star recruits like Zion Williams's of the world, you know, those kind of players like DeAndre Ayton lost in the first round. Yep. And there's a really good chance he is the top pick in this year's draft. You know, so many, I feel like so many of these players, obviously they want to win in the tournament. They want to get to the final four, hopefully win a championship. That's not their main focus. Their main focus is getting to the NBA draft and not getting hurt during their college basketball careers just to make sure that they're as healthy as possible. Look at Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. played 53 minutes the entire season and he's going to the the draft because he knows, hey, if I stay in Missouri and I get hurt, I'm not, my draft stock immediately falls. Yeah, that's a lot of money. It's just a really bad situation. And like you said, the players who are playing in the Final Four experience, Devontae Graham, Svi Mikhailu, Jalen Brunson, McCall Bridges, players from Michigan, Loyola, you know, they've all been here before. Even though Loyola has never been here before, they're experienced because they're older and they're more mature. I mean, if you're in a late game situation, are you going to trust a 22-year-old more or an 18-year-old? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you even saw it in the Duke game itself, uh, you know, in that overtime possession, who'd they give the ball to? They went to Grayson Allen. You could argue they maybe should have went to Marvin Bagley because he's the best player. But Grayson Allen, uh, you know, he's been there for four years. He 
he has been there before. He knows what it's like. I mean, he's been in the national championship before. It's hard to go against that sort of experience. I think obviously the right way is some sort of mixture. And the thing is, it's kind of hard to build that mixture if you're getting the best freshman. Because say you have a, a guy who's going to be a senior and he's a center. And, you know, so you've got this guy who's going on his fourth year. He's a center. But then you also have the number one center in the country coming in. Who do you start? How, how does that work? Um, do you, you know, do you bench the senior? Do you bench the freshman and risk hurting his draft stock, which risks future recruits? Um, I mean, if, if, if someone sees a five-star getting benched, that's going to turn off other five-stars from wanting to go there, um, i.e. Florida State with MJ Walker. Um, and at the same time, how are your other guys who aren't elite NBA prospects that are going to be staying for a couple years, how are they going to react to you watching a watching you bench uh, a, a senior? So it's, it's a very tough line to cross. I think a lot of it goes with just being smart about how you recruit and as good of as good of a recruiter as Duke has been I'm not sure if they've been the most smart about it in terms of building your fits going with the roster you've got and going with the roster you will have so next year they they I mean their best big is going to be Marcus Bolden who's not very good um he'll be a junior though so that might help but they'll have a bunch of weird fits and they finally got a true point guard Trayvon Duvall loosely uh whatever um their, their fits have been weird but i think when you're re- too reliant on freshmen it's much 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 harder obviously to go deep in the tournament because they don't have those those situational experiences they they don't have that savvy that that you just pick up from experience um but at, at the same time you're not going to tell Duke to stop recruiting these five-star freshmen. You know, every every program wants if every program could could have Duke's recruiting class that they have coming in with three with the top three players. I mean, anybody would take that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and look, like like you said, Duke's going to be really weird next year. Bagley won't be there. Grace Nam won't be there. Their whole so you're going to have to look at it with how is that going to fit? R.J. Barrett. Zion Williamson. I, I, I'm completely blanking on the other player who signed there. Completely blanking on his name. They've got Cam Reddish but, and Trey Jones. They got four stud freshmen coming in. Yeah, and it's going to be a tough adjustment for Coach K. You know, he's going to have to go from coaching Grayson Allen, who, even though made some mistakes, probably one of the players he's trusted the most throughout his career at Duke. Now he's got to teach a bunch of 18 year olds, 17 year olds. Hey, this is how this is how you play as a Duke Duke Blue Devil. This is how you conduct yourself. Like, it's not just on the court. Yeah. Because basketball is such a small part of it. And you hear these college players constantly talk about how much their college coaches talk them about life in general. Coach K has learned that too. And he might have to make them speed up their maturation process because Duke's probably going to be in a lot of primetime games next season. They might make a deep tournament run. But unfortunately, that youth might not get you as far as you want to get. And if you're not, even if your team isn't going to, Compiled of the greatest NBA talent like Devontae Graham, Sfima Kailu, Jalen Brunson, Bacal Bridges. They're not, they're great college players. They're not highly touted as NBA prospects. You know, I don't like none of them. I don't think any of them go in the top 10 or 15, you know? I think, I think Bridges goes lottery, but I, I, I definitely get what you're saying. Bridges was a late bloomer. So, and, and yeah, that's the downside to the other way. When you have, the experience when you have older players that usually means that they may not be quite as talented 
um you know they'll have that savvy they'll have that experience but it doesn't mean they have that nba caliber talent where they can go out and dominate on at any given moment and you could say there are some players I mean, there are some older players who who kind of are of that caliber you have De- Devonte graham who has built that because he's gained so much experience in the call co- in the college ranks he knows how to dominate that jalen brunson same way um guys like uh man guys like um just guys like keenan evans he's a senior and he's a late bloomer but he he peaked at the right time in his college career and that's his senior year so he has the experience he has as well you know his talent is 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 rising but if you look at the all-american team the first team all-american that was just released you've got three freshmen on there three freshmen and then the two guards i i, I named in brunson and Devonte graham so you've you've only got one senior there and it's really it's i mean it's it's very tough to grasp which way is going to breed the most success because you can go with all talented lineup duke had the most talented team in the country there's no denying that duke had the most talented team in the country but they lost in the elite eight so and that's not surprising because they were relying on freshmen and then the experience factor is 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 what gets it so unc UNC is is they don't produce a lot of pro prospects, a lot of highly touted pro prospects, but they always have experience. They always have senior leaders. They always have juniors. They always have guys who um, they always have that experience, and that helps so much. UNC is a team that's not going to ever beat itself. You're never, almost never, going to see North Carolina beat itself. If you're beating North Carolina, it means that they might just not be as talented. And this year they weren't that talented, but they got a two seed and they won a lot of games because they have the experience. If you're being UNC, it's because they're just having an off day. They they aren't they're just not as talented. You're not gonna beat UNC because they beat themselves because they're making stupid mistakes because they're too experienced for that. And that obviously, as we can see, goes a long way in the tournament. And you look at players like you were just talking about Roy, uh, Roy Williams, coaches like that who have teams that never really produce the greatest NBA talent. Marcus Page hasn't didn't pan out. CJ Fair from Syracuse with Jim Beheim never panned out. Was a great college player. He was awesome. Tyler Ennis, he's been okay. Johnny Aaron Flynn. Kraft. We've we've never heard about Aaron Kraft. You know, no. he, he's not he can't even make a roster anymore. Aaron Kraft was amazing at Ohio State. He was a college. You know, no, he was so great. Yeah, and you know, unless you just get in a really lucky situation where you're say Kyle Kuzma, where the experience ends up being the biggest factor for you. And now you're com- contributing to a team who's going to be really good in a few years. So he stayed for four years. And I think what happens with these players is I think they find it bad to stay for an extra year. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, we saw Trey Young's dad say, I can, I would like for my son to maybe stay another year, but it's his choice. You know, he's a grown man. He has to make this decision himself. If you want to stay another year, Yeah, all I mean, totally. They're they're students as well. You know, a lot like some students, some of those athletes actually do care about their education. Not all of them do. We we know a lot of some of them don't fully care about education. You know, they're there for basketball, but some of them just want to stay more and pursue their degree. That's okay. You know, because I think some of the players understand basketball is going to be such a small part of my life, and obviously you're going to be able to not have to worry about money as much, assuming your NBA career pans out, but. We just see all the, we see these players thinking, I have to get out of college as soon as I can. If you got to stay an extra year or two, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, look at college football. 
college football players have to stay for three years. And a lot of them are really experienced when they come to the NFL. A lot of them don't necessarily play that much. But I actually found out a stat today. This is from Douglas Outward Craig. I learned it in my class. Out of all the draft picks in the NFL, I think there's like over 700 in total. Only eight of them will play more than half their team's game. That is insane. But that goes to show you, and football is different because the rosters are deeper. It's very much more team-oriented. Oh, sure. Um, obviously, in, in basketball, you still see 19-year-olds come in and produce immediately, which is, is just a testament of the different type of game that, that it is, different type of, of rosters and the dynamic that, that you get from there. But, and, and I, I guess that goes to the question of the eligibility questions for the NBA. Who can go to the draft when? And that's a, I mean, that's obviously a deeper conversation with the one and done rule and whatnot. Um, but I'm in, in general, I'm all for players going when, whenever they want. I, I'm never that guy who's like, oh, you know, you should have stayed. But sometimes the best decision is to stay. And sometimes, you know, if you're like a fringe first round pick, you come around and you, and you, uh, you know, and you build your draft stock back up. Look at, um, I saw it firsthand at NC State, Omir Yurt 7. He had a horrible freshman year coming over from Turkey. He had to adjust to ACC play. Um, his his role in Mark Godfrey's system just wasn't really working. And then Coach Keats comes in, convinces Omer Yurt 7 to stay, and he has a breakout year, and he was, he was fantastic for a good stretch in the ACC. And now he's getting some draft buzz, um, and he'll probably be going pro. So it's it's sometimes it's a good decision to stay, but you always have to understand inside with the player when they leave because they've got families to feed. I mean, you know, oftentimes a lot of these athletes don't come from well-off families, and um, and again, this this opens the door for a much deeper conversation in terms of paying players, eligibility from high school, blah blah blah. Um, that we're not, we're not going to get into right now, but it's it's there's an issue there. In terms of the eligibility that will have to be solved i think we'll, we'll see it get solved moving on to the nba though this is this is the the thick of the of the playoff race is coming coming along now um god i can't even speak the thick of the playoff race is coming along we're seeing um you know we're seeing a couple teams locking their spots a couple teams um you know locking their their eliminated status i think we've got what 10 teams total who are completely eliminated from playoffs on both both sides um You've got four teams, four or five teams, already clinched their spot in the East. In the West, the, the standings from three to eight or three to nine are changing every single day, and it's kind of fun to watch. Matt, do you like the tanking races better or the playoff races better? Because the tanking oh, the races tanking are pretty race fucking entertaining. terrible. So bad, you know. Memphis lost to Charlotte by sixty-one, I believe, the other night, and then they beat um, Minnesota. Like that's what the hell? Like what? Like what the <laughs> hell was Minnesota doing that game? I've, I'm not sure if I've ever seen an NBA game in which an NBA team looked more just totally disengaged than Minnesota did. Minnesota is severely missing Jimmy Butler, and I, I think it's showing that that team. They're they're eighth in the West. They got two game lead on ninth. Clippers, I think, I think they end up making it, um, you know, and obviously the plan is if they make it, Butler should be back by then, um, you, you think they make it? They'll make it, but 
we don't really know what to expect from them because I don't think Minnesota's style of play is going to translate that well into the playoffs. They don't shoot that many threes. They consistently focus on the mid-range game. Not that the mid-range is bad, but NBA has shown if you're not shooting it's, threes, you're not going to have a deep playoff run. They're a good team, don't get me wrong, but you got to shoot the three ball at a pretty consistent rate. And I don't know, man. This I don't think Tom Thibodeau just really has it together. You know, I just don't know why you only play six or seven guys for 40 minutes a night yeah you know and we're starting to see we're starting to see a track record of this dude might be derailing players careers he had i hate to be that guy but that game where derrick rose towards acl in 2012 against philly that game was over rose should never but he saw derrick rose in that rose shouldn't have been in the game joakim noah's been hurt i mean sure he got the contract but he can't even play now yeah jimmy butler's been dealing with injuries zach levine so we got exactly so we got to start looking at it as this coach might be hurting players careers significantly I, I think even beyond that tom thibodeau's style of coaching it looks like it's just not conducive to winning with how the game is going and again it looks like thibodeau's guys they they don't really focus on three you know they don't don't make the three the three-point shot a priority and again it's like minnesota has a lot of great three-point shooters anyways but you know they, they take mid-range shots they they try to pound it in, so the spacing is awkward a lot of times when you when you watch Minnesota's offense. The spacing looks just really weird. Um, he used to make his he used to make his money on being a defensive a defensively stout coach. You know, he used to get the best um, you know high pressure defense from his team. That's not really the case anymore. Um, and obviously, playing his starters all those minutes really sucks. And at this point in the season, when the wear and tear is there, that rhymed. Uh, and players, players are getting tired. I mean, even even players who don't even play all that much are getting tired at this point in the season. It's uh, you know, it's not a good look, especially when you're seeing so many players start to take their health more seriously. We're 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 making medical advances every single year in terms of players getting longevity, players uh, being able to play for longer. I mean, LeBron. I, I'm sure everyone's heard this a billion times. LeBron's in his 15th season, and he's. He looks like he's 25, um, and that that's testament to how well he treats his body. Tom Thibodeau does not treat his players' bodies uh, the best. Yeah, and we also just saw, you know, we're talking about injuries. Marco Fultz played uh, Monday night against Denver. He looked okay. You know, he looked a little rusty at first. He airballed a shot, but... He was aggressive, which is really good. You know, he's been dealing with a lot over the past couple of months. I was surprised. First time playing since October. And he was really confident. He was going to, he shot 13 shots in 14 minutes, had eight assists, which really stood out to me because that that's what he's known to do. He can really distribute the ball. He's athletic. He's a little lanky. And he, he was aggressive and going to the rim. He was seemed comfortable with shooting the jumper. And that's the biggest part of Marco Fultz right now. How good is jumper going to be? The form is still, it's not terrible. It's not bad. But it's it, it, its manageable from what it looked like a couple of months ago when he couldn't even get a shot up. Yeah. And it was just airballing free throws. But he looked confident. And anything they get out of Marco Fultz this year is a plus for them. You know, it was smart for him to come back now just to see where he's at and how much he can contribute to filling the playoffs. Because I'm going to tell you, man. Philly's legit. If, I don't, if I mean, I'm not gets, saying they're gonna. If Fultz gets to doing his thing like by the playoffs, they're gonna be a tough out, dude. Like that is going to be a tough out with NBA. They can get to the conference finals. 
yeah, I mean, MB doing MB things, Ben Simmons doing Ben Simmons things, and then you get Markel Fultz to do some Markel Fultz things with, obviously, you know, you get the help from from your shooters, from, like, Redick and Rocco and Dario Sarge, and, you know, you, you get those guys complimenting and, and adding a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that is going to be a tough out. And in the East, with Kyrie's status uncertain, with the Raptors always, always liable to fuck it up in the playoffs, with Cleveland looking crazy, I mean, the East, the East might go down like the NCAA tournament. It, it, the East is kind of primed for chaos at this point. It is, and when I'm looking at it right now, if the playoffs started, we get Philly and Indiana in the playoffs. That'd be hell of a series. And I think that's a terrible matchup for Indiana because I think that's I don't think they'd want to face Philadelphia. Definitely not. And. I don't know. The East is gonna be wild. I still, I, it's still hard for me to pick a team not that ha, that doesn't have LeBron on it to come out of the East. But I have more, I have more faith in Toronto this year. They're way more well balanced. They don't focus on the DeRozan, Lowry, ISOs. A lot more ball movement. But at the same time, you can be a little skeptical due to the fact that that bench unit, which has been phenomenal all season, it's a lot of second year players. So you have to trust their experience. You have to hope that they can be mature in the playoffs. Because if not, it's just going to fall apart. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think we can see in the West, while the Warriors are hurt, it's literally at this point just the Rockets and Warriors on a collision course to get to the conference finals. I think they're just waiting for each other at this point to get there. The Rockets didn't even have James Harden tonight, and they beat the Bulls by 40. Yeah, um... It's definitely some sort of collision course with those two. Interesting, Steve Kerr already said that Steph Curry will not be playing in the first round. And, I mean, realistically, I doubt they're going to need him for the first round anyways. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the injuries were something I wasn't too worried about uh, a couple weeks ago regarding Golden State just because we didn't know how severe everything was. And, obviously, Steph Curry re-injured the ankle, so or re- he got himself re-injured. So, that added to it. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think overall... The, it's looking like they'll be healthy for the second round and on. And at that point, you know, we are we know what they can do on both ends, uh, how dangerous they can be. The winner of the West is going to win the the NBA championship. That's 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 pretty clear cut to say. If Steph is not one hundred percent in the playoffs, how much? If you had to give a percentage, what percentage chance would you give Houston of beating them? If Steph's not the same, it it would depend on how much Steph is hobbled. Steph's like eighty five compared to like sixty. Um, I I think I I would feel confident with picking Golden State if Steph is like eighty percent or more. Um, because I mean at, at worst you put Steph in like a spot up type of role, similar to Clay, where he's not you know he won't have to do as much of the creation as as he's used to. Um, and he can still light up from there. He can still light up in a spot up role. Um, and Kevin Durant is obviously one of the best players on the on the one of the best players in the world. Um, but I, I would say if he's anything lower than eighty percent, um, yeah, I mean the Rockets are liable to fire it up. And the Rockets play smart basketball in terms of the shots that they take. They don't take mid range shots. That's smart. You know they take high percentage shots. And it basically, it's, all right, if we're not going to take these super high percentage shots, we better make it count from three. So and that, that, that's that's a good strategy. That's what the league is going towards. And Mike D'Antoni has just kind of been a little bit ahead of the curve. And when you've got a guy like James Harden and you've got a guy who can adapt to 
really any type of offense, Chris Paul, that's that's a good that's a good thing. That's an easy way to be ahead of, ahead of that curve, and um, I, I think that says the most about them. Obviously, Golden State has been doing that kind of for a while. The either at the basket or threes, um, and now Houston's jumped on it. And when you have a diver like Clint Capella, I mean, even, even if that's always going to be good for for on offense, that's the perfect fit for the type of offense. I just thought of this just now. Rockets Warriors is basically Villanova, Kansas, and the East is the Loyola and Michigan. Yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 a very good point because you're gonna get the champion from one side of the one side of the bracket, and um, yeah, I mean it's just it's just still so hard to pick against Golden State right now, but we'll have to see. Obviously, injuries injuries pending. Ideally, we would get a hundred percent Warriors versus hundred percent Rockets. Get the best basketball possible. I mean, I think that, that's from a neutral standpoint. That's what I would want. Um, I just think most basketball fans just want health. Just want to see the best basketball possible being played. And um, I mean, that that series is going to seven games, no matter what. And it, it, it's it has a chance to be an, an all timer. It'll be a lot of fun. And you know, you're talking about injuries. LaMarcus Aldridge left the Spurs game tonight with a knee contusion, and Spurs fans should be praying to God that it's just a knee contusion. Because yeah. I don't I don't know what's up with Kawhi. I don't know I don't know if he's gonna come back. Everyone's Tony Parker's calling him out, Manu's kinda calling him out. I don't know what the hell is going on in San Antonio. Yeah, I, you and me both. That that situation, um, it's definitely that situation has caused me a lot more concern in the last week and a half than it than it did before. And we really just don't know. The Spurs are so good at keeping things private. And we know the team meeting. We know the team meeting happened. Woj's report may have been a little bit embellished in terms of how high the emotions were running. But we know the team meeting happened. And we know that they asked for Kawhi Leonard to kind of give a definitive response. And he couldn't. And I guess not being able to give a definitive response might be better than saying no. But at the same time, like Manu said... You can't keep going off of the thought that he's going to be back. And you saw when he was supposed to be back against New Orleans, everybody fell for it and he wasn't back there. So the more they hold on to that hope that he's going to come back, the more it's going to hurt them. They have to be who they are. And Coach Popovich said this, you have to be who you are. And Kawhi isn't on the team, so that's his style of play. Him being in there, that's not who they are because he's not on the team. Um, again, As far as LaMarcus Aldridge goes, uh, I think partially the reason why they kept him out was because the Spurs were already getting their butts beat at that point. And so it was just probably a precautionary thing. Um, I'm not too worried about it yet, but again, I wasn't worried about Kawhi. Um, I, I think Aldridge will probably be fine. He might, he might sit a game just for precautionary things that the Spurs like to do, but Kawhi, I'm, I'm, if I'm guessing, and again, I have no idea if I'm speculating, um, I'm guessing he doesn't play this year for the rest of the year. As much as I don't want it to happen, I think he'll get the Supermax. He'll sign the Supermax this year, the extension. And then um, he'll be back by the start of the season and we'll probably just totally, totally uh, forget that this happened. I guess it's kind of a best case scenario, but yeah, I mean, that's probably a, a safe bet. Yeah, this season has just kind of been a lost season for the Spurs. And we talk about all this madness that's going on with them. And they're in the playoffs if the playoffs started today. So you can't really ask for much more out of them. LaMarcus has carried them. And 
one thing I've noticed is they're really bad against the good teams, but the Spurs beat who they're supposed to beat. And those and that's what gets you in the playoffs. You gotta beat who you're supposed to beat. And that's a testament to Pop and the Spurs and how they run things. And they could go to the playoffs and get swept. You never know. But you beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and that's gonna get you into the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's half the battle. Um You know, the Spurs we've seen them make more dumb mistakes this year than usual. But again, they're obviously with Pop, they're gonna be one of the most well disciplined teams in the in the league. Um yeah, this this summer will be a big, big, big summer in San Antonio. A lot will hinge uh a lot of the future will hinge on this summer alone. So we will see. It, it'll be interesting. I'm I'm nervous as a fan. Um, but just as a basketball lover, I'm interested to see what comes out of that. Interested to see what goes on in Houston. I mean, this summer, every summer is is always a big time soap opera, big time reality show. That's always fun to watch. So, yeah, man, it's the Sp- the Spurs' future probably hasn't been this unclear in a very long time. Yeah, and it's been very unlike the Spurs to do this kind of stuff to have their drama be this public in the media and just in the Twitter world, social media, but I don't know. You know, you just, it's just that, you know, you look at all this, it's like, oh shit, you know, the Spurs have won 43 games. Oh wow. Like they're still actually a formidable team without a top five, six player in the world. That's just a testament to how the Spurs run things. And you're right. It's the most uncertain I've ever felt about the Spurs going into an off season. You don't know what's going to happen with Kawhi because Kawhi really, this really could be Kawhi just trying to let let them know, like, I don't want to be here. But because it's Kawhi and he's just so quiet, you, you, you never know what, like, what Kawhi actually wants, what his needs are, what his intentions are. So it's just a matter of waiting at this point. And whenever he sits down with the organization, they figure out a plan from there, whether he signs Supermax or whether he's going to say, I don't think it's working out here and I need to go pursue other jobs. Yeah. Yep. 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 I mean, hopefully if, if he goes away, we do trade him. We get something out for him. But um, yeah, so we don't know what's going to happen. Major space to watch. Obviously, we'll cover it whenever something does happen. That is going to do it for this episode. Um, you know, we, we, we talked our college basketball. By the time we're talking again next week, we will know who our national champion is. And I'm sure we'll have some drama to, to recap. Uh, we'll probably, you know, look forward to next college basketball season, see, you know, do some early predictions, something like that. But then it's all NBA, baby. Then it's then it's then it's all the big stuff. And that's going to be a wild ride uh, for this last this last month or so. Um, yeah, so like I said, that'll do it. Make sure to go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, rate, review, follow on SoundCloud, Twitter, all that good stuff. And give us any feedback. You know, we're, we're always open to feedback. Hit us up. Let us know what you're thinking. We will see you guys next week when we have a national champion. <laughs>